Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. Happy Juneteenth. I'm Kai Wright from WNYC, and this is a special national live broadcast of United States of Anxiety. We're a show about the unfinished business of our history and how we can break its grip on our future. And tonight we are celebrating some history live on air with all of you. I'm with our producer, Regina Dehir. Hi, Kai. And Regina, who have you got booked for us tonight? We're connecting with Miss Opal Lee, who's often called the grandmother of Juneteenth. Mm. Pulitzer Prize winning historian Annette Gordon-Reed will explain the holiday's backstory. And we'll even hear live from a party in Houston's Emancipation Park. That's right. We are partnering with Houston Public Media, KERA Dallas, and Texas Public Radio to center the voice of Texas. But we want to hear from all of you around the country. How are you celebrating? What's the holiday mean to you personally? That's all coming up on the United States of Anxiety. Do you know what Juneteenth is about? I don't. I ain't gonna lie to you. Um, I don't want to get it wrong. That's why I'm so scared to answer. It's actually about the freedom of slaves and how we are now, quote-unquote, liberated. I'm actually Canadian, but from what I understand, when slavery ended in the United States, they didn't let certain people in the South know till later on. So what does that mean to you? I think it's a step in the right direction. I ain't gonna lie, we still have slavery. We still have slavery in the United States of America. Well, I think that's really great. Like, we have, like, President's Day off. What is that doing for us? So I love that we have Juneteenth off, because that's a day for, like, us. Will you be celebrating Juneteenth this year? Yeah, hell yeah. I'm going on a little trip with my parents, because also it's Father's Day, so we're going to, like, do it like a double thing. I work on Juneteenth, sadly, so we're going to fix that. Well, I mean, I know it's an, like, official holiday now, so I guess I got to now. Welcome to the show. I'm Kai Wright, and this is a special national broadcast of the United States of Anxiety. So a special welcome to those joining us from our partner stations around the country and on our YouTube live stream. Juneteenth is now a national holiday signed into law this time last year, but I do wonder how much we all actually know about the history we're marking today, whether it means anything to each of us personally. So we are asking you to tell us tonight. How are you celebrating this weekend? And what does the holiday mean to you personally? Not as a political idea, but to you. We're going to prioritize Black Texans since they created this holiday in the first place. So call in, tell the country how you do it in Texas. But we want to hear from everybody, all of you all around the country. And the first person we're going to talk to tonight is Miss Opal Lee. Uh, Back in 2016, at age 89, she set out to walk from her hometown in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, to Washington, D.C., to ask Barack Obama to declare Juneteenth a national holiday. And she campaigned constantly uh, from that time until last year, when Congress finally answered her call to action. Uh, She was at the White House when Joe Biden signed it into law last June. And so we're going to have Miss Lee and oh, it looks like we don't have Miss Lee yet. So you know what we're going to do is we're going to skip ahead to who's also going to join us with Miss Lee. Uh, I'm also going to be joined by Pulitzer Prize winning historian, Harvard professor and Texas native Annette Gordon-Reed. So a long intro for her as well. Her her research on Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson, as many of you have read, literally rewrote the story of early American history. And her most recent book is called On Juneteenth. It's a deeply personal effort to retell the history of her home state and of the experience of Black Texans going back centuries. Professor, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. 
It is our pleasure. And uh, while we wait uh, uh, for till we get Miss Opalee on on the line, you and her both were at the White House ce- uh, signing ceremony to create the national holiday. And so it, I just want to start with asking you, why did you believe this should be a national holiday? I, you know, we've heard some people say, oh, we think it dilutes its meeting um, if it's not just by and for black Texans anymore. But why do you think it needed to be a national holiday? Well, I have to say, Miss uh, Miss Lee was more instrumental, the most instrumental in making it a federal holiday. You know, I when I started writing the book, I hadn't focused on that as a question. I, you know, it's a good idea to have it as a, it wasn't my main purpose in writing the book, but I think it's, it's a good holiday. It's good to have it as a federal holiday because we needed a day to recognize the end of slavery. Now this is the end of slavery in Texas. And what I say is significance is that it was the end of the military effort to maintain the system of slavery. That's the last battle of the Civil War was in Texas. The Confederates won, but they realized the war was over. They surrendered at the beginning of June. And that's when Granger comes to Galveston with the troops and makes this announcement. So I think there ought to be something to mark um, emancipation, the process of emancipation. I, I say in the book, it's a it's a process. There were other days, there were other moments. But this is, I think, a good umbrella day to talk about what was an advance in human rights. I mean, it didn't solve every problem, but we should mark that day. So that's why I think it's important. And we do have Miss Opal Lee now. Uh, Miss Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks for calling in. Hello. Yes, we've got you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Well, I am here. We're talking to Annette Gordon-Reed. I know you were at the White House signing ceremony for the national holiday with her. And I was just asking her to start by uh, giving her thoughts on why it needs to be a national holiday in the first place. And so I want to start there with you. Why did you feel like this needed to be a national holiday? Because it represents freedom. And we're not free yet. Mm. And so... I'm wanting to peak morning people to know that each of us is responsible for getting rid of the disparities that we have. Mm. And I'm sure you know that we need to do something about the education system where history is being left out of the textbook. Mm. That If the people don't know where they came from, they don't know where they're going. And we're floundering. Okay? Mm -hmm. Then there's joblessness and homelessness and health care that some can get and others can't. And climate change that we should be doing something about. And I feel that we're not free. None of us are free until we're all free. Mm. Can, can I ask you, Miss Lee? It's you know, it's it's a celebration as well, and you know, you have been celebrating it your most of your life, right? Yeah. How, tell tell folks how you like to celebrate. What's what's a good way to celebrate Juneteenth? You want to know how? <laughs> hey, I've got plans like. Nobody's business. (laughs) We've already had our breakfast of prayer. Uh Now, I don't want you to confuse that with a prayer breakfast because we're not sitting down eating a lot of food. But the prayer breakfast we've had have been phenomenal. Mm. Uh, I, I, I don't know what time you've got, but I'm not going to describe it to you. We've had our pageant already. Beautiful young woman. And one of them is going to the National Miss Juneteenth pageant. We have what's called empowering you. And that's when we have everything we think it takes. People learn how to fix their credit scores. They learn how to buy a home, how to get a car. 
sort of get help. All kinds of things that would empower a person. Our young people get together, all nationalities and races, and they learn songs and mime and all all kinds of things. They work a whole week and then they do a concert. That's great. You ought to come here. I will take you up on that that invitation, Ms. Lee. I would love to come there and see it. Come on, come on. (laughs) Let me tell you about the film. Uh, You know, the pandemic kept us from having parades, but we do walks, Uh and I lead the walk. (laughs) I led one yesterday, and the old lady made that two and a half miles, and she was an exhausted human being. But hey, and the girl is up and going here. I love it. I love it. We will start off at 10 o'clock and we'll walk from Evans Plaza to Pier 1. That's the new city hall in Fort Worth. That's two and a half miles. And we start at 10. Out in California, they'll start at 8. Philadelphia and Atlanta at 11. And it's going to be Simulcast. Wow. We, we, well, what is what what they're telling me is that we did that yesterday. Okay, okay. So we're gonna do it again. We'll do it again, and we'll do it again, and we will find the simulcast. I'm gonna find out where that link is, and we'll let we'll everybody know so they can go see it. And Miss Lee, I'm gonna okay. let you go just for time because we're getting short on this segment. But I really, really appreciate you calling in, uh, and and from your Juneteenth celebration. Miss Opal Lee led the campaign for Juneteenth to become a national holiday last June at age 94. She was finally present at the White House to witness her victory when President Biden made this an official federal holiday. Thank you so much, Miss Lee. Thank you for letting me cook, too. Bye now. Bye-bye. Annette, we're going to come back and talk to you about your book in just a moment, but I want to just squeeze in one call before we have to go to a break. Let's talk to Betty in Plano, Texas. Betty, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much uh, for this program. And uh, I am not originally from Texas, but I've been here for over 40 years and grew up in the South. And we did not celebrate or weren't even aware of Juneteenth. Mm. But since I've been here for so long, I've started to pay attention within the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years. But one question that I do have that I've never heard brought up was what is or was the impact of Texans, Black Texans, getting the notice of the Emancipation Proclamation two years late. Mm-hmm. What impact did that have on their mindset? Um, because, you know, the rest of the South, if you will, were free. And how did that impact generations to come from that point going forward? Okay, I'm going to ask Annette. Perhaps Gordon- the, uh, yes, thank you. I'm going to ask her to answer that. But before you hang up, Betty, can you tell us how you how, how are you celebrating? I am paying attention. I am paying attention. I am uh, looking for more direction, mm. and I'm just enjoying some time with uh, my husband, uh, my son, and, and grandchildren. That, so, that is and a- being thankful for the, uh, I'll say this, being thankful for the efforts of Ms. Opal Lee, because I have watched her for the last number of years with her walk. So I applaud her efforts, and I salute her. Thank sure. you, Betty. We're gonna we'll, we'll put your question to Net Gordon Reed after we after we take a quick break. I'm Kai Wright. This is a special national broadcast of the United States of Anxiety to celebrate Juneteenth. Tell us how you're celebrating and what the holiday means to you personally. I'll talk more with Annette Gordon Reed and take your calls after a break. Hey everyone, this is Kusha. I'm a producer. Tell us, how are you celebrating Juneteenth? You can send us an email. The address is anxiety at wnyc.org. And if you've got pictures, share them with Kai on Instagram. He's at Kai underscore right. 
Also, as you probably heard, we live streamed this episode on WNYC's YouTube channel. We're going to try live streaming out for a while. So if you'd like to watch the show in action, come hang out with us Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern. You can chat with the show team and with other listeners. We'd love to see you there. Finally, we've released the second episode of Keeping Score, a new series from our colleagues at WNYC about four schools, one building, and an effort to reverse segregation. You can check out those episodes every Thursday on our podcast feed. All right, thanks for listening. Back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Kai Wright, and this is a special national broadcast of the United States of Anxiety to celebrate Juneteenth. I'm still joined by Pulitzer Prize-winning historian, Harvard professor, and Texas native Annette Gordon-Reed. Her latest book, published last year, is called On Juneteenth. It's a deeply personal effort to retell the history of her home state of Texas and of the experience of Black Texans going back centuries. And Annette, uh, can we start with the question that our caller Betty asked right before the break? Um, you know, this, as we know, the holiday is uh, marks the day a little over two years after the Emancipation Proclamation that a Union general arrived in Galveston, Texas, to uh, announce that uh, to announce the Emancipation Proclamation and. One of the things many people ask is like, so what was the impact on those on those Texans that had to wait two and a half years to hear that? Can can you give some insight on that? Yes. Well, the Emancipation Proclamation, 1863, it didn't immediately free all the slaves in in these southern areas. It took uh, African-American people running away from plantations, self-emancipation and also the efforts of the Army of the United States. The reason it took so long is that the Army of the Trans-Mississippi in Texas continued to fight. I mean, Lee surrendered in April um, in 1865, which basically indicated that the war was over because his was the most important army, uh, but they kept fighting. So it's not that people didn't know, it's just nothing could be done about it until um, the Confederates lost and stopped fighting, and which they did at the beginning of June. And that's when Granger goes to Galveston with his troops. So um, African-American people and enslaved people knew what white people <laughs> knew. And if white people in Texas knew about the Emancipation Proclamation, they did, too, mm. um, because they heard them talk. They lived you know, in homes with them. They were in close proximity. And in fact, in the book, I talk about the fact that in a couple of days before Granger gets there, there are some black men on the wharves who start celebrating and people ask what what are you celebrating? And he said, because we're going to be free. So they knew mm. that he was on his way. So, but even before then, this was in the newspaper. It it was clear. It's just that it couldn't be done until the army got there to take control of the, of the place. And even after they did that, uh, there were still some places where there was no army presence, where they were still yeah. trying to hold on <laughs> to the institution of slavery. It yeah. really took, it was force. Um, and, you know, people running away, actually escaping the plantations, leaving the plantations, but also the force of the army that made this possible. And that escaping is itself a form of force. You know, you have to. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to go. You got to <laughs> go. And I mean, war was an opportunity um, yeah, and yeah. people saw it as an opportunity and they took it and they they left. Some of them went to Mexico and some of them, you know, that's you know, people ran north and other parts of the south. Yeah. But in Texas, they ran to Mexico in many instances. Just to zoom back a little bit, you, you mentioned in your book, you talk about how, you know, Texas has all these iconic male figures, the, the oil man, the cowboy, all these rugged individuals. And you say, you know, in some, there's one who is left out of this, uh, who helped make Juneteenth a necessity in the first place, and that is the plantation owner. Yeah. Um, and, and you say that, you know, his imprint and it is a his uh, on the state remains in place. Can just uh, you want to expand on that a bit for folks? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was saying in the book that I think people misunderstand Texas. There's some things that they don't think about uh, in thinking about oil men and cowboys, even though many cowboys were black, of course, but that's not the portrayal typically. But you think about West Texas, people don't think about East Texas, which was the most populous part of the state, which was a slave society. It was part 
of the cotton empire. It was started to extend the cotton empire. That's why it was uh, Texas's entry into the Union, into America, was so controversial because it was going to be a, a slave state. So when you think about the plantation owner and slavers, you necessarily have to think about African-American people who don't figure as much in the sort of mythology of West, of the West, and the Western part of Texas. And it brings the, the slave society into the picture. The slave society in the United States was racially based, so it helped cement a racial hierarchy that doesn't just disappear uh, once the institution of slavery you know, disappears. By the way, I should say it, it legally disappears with the ratification of the 13th Amendment in 1865. But what I said before, June 19th is about the ending the force, uh, the organized mm-hmm. force to keep it in place. So that, but still people wanted to keep the racial hierarchy in place. And so a lot of things we're dealing with today, voter suppression, thinking about uh, how we talk about history and history classes, all of that grows out of the racial hierarchy that was created by, by the plantation system and the system of racialized slavery. And how we understand ourselves as well. I mean, you, you, you also write that, you know, sort of the narrative of slavery uh, it limits, quote, you said, quote, the imaginative possibilities of blackness. Yes. Say more yes. about that. What do you mean by that? Well, because, you know, if you think about it just in terms of people working for no pay, which is what slavery was, but there were so many other aspects of it, um, so many things that African-American people were doing outside of the context of plantation slavery. I began the book talking about a man named Mesta Bonico who uh, was brought to the area that would become Texas in the 1520s, where he ended up there. There was shipwrecked, but he ended up there with Spanish explorers. And this is before plantation slavery. Uh, we don't think about that as an origin story of African Americans because they spoke Spanish. And uh, we sort of begin our narrative with Jamestown mm-hmm. in 1619, which is important. And, you know, we should do that, but we should also think that about the people who were there before, uh, African people of African descent who were in the area of Texas in the 1500s, down off into Mexico, um, starting some of their own communities, melding into the Mexican, what would become Mexican uh, uh, communities down there. And that's an origin story too. So he was a, a translator for, he had a talent for languages, Cabeza de Vaca, who was the, the person that we've probably all heard of, uh, wrote memoirs about this, and he talks about him and that he was had a talent for language and he was a, an interpreter. We don't typically think of, you know, African people, people of African descent or, you know, enslaved people playing that kind of role. It's just, I would imagine most people think of cotton and that's right. it. So I wanted to ha- I wanted to have a different origin point and to talk about the fact that black people, people of African descent were all over the world at that time period doing lots of different things. Mm. Mm. And give us a little bit about the origin point of Juneteenth itself, though. So we know mm-hmm. the the celebration part of it. Um, mm-hmm. We know that uh, you, we know the sort of history of, of, you know, this moment where Granger shows up. But what about the mm-hmm. celebration part of it? What's, what's mm-hmm. the... Well, the celebration part of it began immediately. It was called Emancipation Day. Um, and the Freedmen's Bureau, once it gets set up, this is, this is the organization that organizations that were put in place throughout the South to help the 4 million people who had been enslaved and were now free. It solemnized their marriages. It worked on on contracts with employers. It ran schools for kids and adults and everybody who wanted to learn how to read and write and so forth. Um, But they also encouraged, they arranged, they also encouraged in celebrations as well. Most of them, uh, they started out in churches in many instances. I say in the book that... um, there are a lot of people who weren't happy about these celebrations. I found mm. instances where people were whipped for celebrating mm. um, because, you know, the former enslavers and their supporters were mad about what, what took place. And I also tell a story about a group of men who pull their resources and buy land um, for people to celebrate because they have it in their mind that, of course, you know, the generations to come are going to note this particular moment. 
And that land became Emancipation Park in Houston, which is still there. And I've been to Emancipation Park um, as a kid uh, to celebrate Juneteenth. And it, it was just a poignant thing for me to think about people who are in the middle of some pretty bad circumstances. I mean, they're happy. And people ask me, should we say this is a celebration or is it a commemoration or mm. what? But these people were actually happy. happy. <laughs> they were happy. And because they're, you know, we, we think of all the ways that this, the promise fell short and how we're still fighting for many of these things. But they were happy that it would no longer be legal to sell people's children away from them and their husbands and their wives. I mean, you know, people say, well, we still have slavery now. Well, you know, we have bad times now. We have mass incarceration. We have a lot of things to deal with. But the separation of families was the central trauma among enslaved people. If you read the narratives and descriptions of that time, you know, after the end of the war, people put ads in newspapers. They went around saying, have you seen my mother? You know, I last saw her here. There's a new database that just came out that that, was put up a couple of days ago on social media that has the voyages from the upper south down to New Orleans by boat. And they have manifests. They have names and people and so forth. And one of the things that makes clear that there was just massive family disruption Uh, people sold away from each other. So to know that that wasn't going to happen, I mean, it's just unimaginable. Just think of someone coming to your home if you have kids or, you know, a a significant other and saying, you know, we're going to sell that person today. Doesn't happen. But they were very happy. And so I think it is a celebration. You mentioned Emancipation Park. We're partnering with Houston Public Media, KERA Dallas, and Texas Public Radio for this show. So special shouts to all our Texans out there. And uh, we have from Houston Public Media, reporter Corey McGinnis is in Houston's Emancipation Park right now where they have been celebrating, as you said, Juneteenth since 1872. They're celebrating now. Hey, Corey, are you there? Hey, I am here. Can you hear me okay? I can. So what's the vibe in the park? Right. right now, I can honestly tell you that folks are trying to find shade as much as they <laughs> possibly can. They're trying to uh, get stay cool as much as they can. There's a lot of hydration centers out here, but in spite of the heat, um, the park is pretty packed uh, right now with several vendors um, around. It seems like the mood, the vibe, the energy is still kind of upbeat, still on a, on a high from, from yesterday uh, when they had uh, our speaker, the mayor, Sylvester Turner, and Congresswoman Sheila Jackson-Lee. They took the stage. Um, you know, kind of talking to the crowd just about how this is uh, sacred soil uh, that we're on. But right now, there's a lot of uh, kids around. There's a, a fa- it's more of a family event. Uh, there's a lot of smiles. There's balloons, floats. Uh, there's also registration for folks out here to come out and vote. So it's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty a bit it's a big deal out here in Houston because too, uh, not only are we just celebrating freedom, uh, but this also marks the park 150 year anniversary so uh, there's right. a lot of artists that are taking the stage i just heard that sheila uh sheila e will actually be taking the stage oh, uh, pretty soon later tonight so that's from my generation yeah, so, uh, <laughs> it's 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 going to be pretty exciting so people are still kind of uh walking in and out uh, of the park i'm actually near the entrance right now and the line is still pretty thick um so that goes to show that there's a huge interest with people coming out here to celebrate uh, mm-hmm. Juneteenth and, and just what this is all about and what this what this means uh, to them. So in a little bit, I'm going to go out here and speak to some of the folks and uh, kind of just see, I guess, what Black freedom or what Juneteenth means mm. uh, for them. I know one thing that Opal Lee, she was kind of vocal about saying that it's not a holiday just for African-Americans, but for all. And so um, I'm seeing different races out here. And, you know, Houston is a melting pot of different uh, different races. So it'll be interesting to kind of yeah. get everybody's take to see, I guess, what this holiday really means to them out here as people continue to celebrate listening to good music, uh, going from vendor to vendor and eating some good food. I'm yeah. smelling the barbecue right now as I'm talking to yeah. you. <laughs> Corey, I, I, I am jealous. I thank you for that report. Uh, I can't wait to hear some Sheila E. recorded for us so we can play some a little later. <laughs> Corey McGinnis is a reporter for Houston Public Media stationed in Emancipation Park today. Uh, and, and have fun, Corey. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Let's Let's go to Will in Houston as well. Will, welcome to the show. Hi, can you hear me? I can. How are you celebrating, can you hear me? Will? 
<laughs> no, I'm 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 doing well. First, I want to thank you for doing the show and for your guests. Uh, I think it's a very important conversation you all are having. So I'm I was just enjoying listening to it, and uh, you know, just as a uh, as a Houstonian, um, I celebrate. I I see Juneteenth a little differently. It's more of um, it's a way for my family to get together. So we've been celebrating our uh, family reunion on Juneteenth well, uh, oh, for cool. a few years now. That's and great. It's, uh, it, 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 yeah, it was a ri- so we've been celebrating it for about 110 years. Wow. But what ended up happening is in the 1960s, it's, you know, I'm working on the history right now, but in the 1960s, uh, a lot of people sh- began to shift because they couldn't get off from work. <laughs> That's, uh, mm. uh, they wouldn't know if it fell on a, a different day, they wouldn't be able to get off from work. And there were issues with that. So they moved to the 4th of July. Well, in recent years, um, a family moved it back to uh, uh, June the 19th. And... Um, and so we've been celebrating. So for me, and, and that's one of the things that I found just in studying the history, a lot of people, um, families came together during that time. So they would have family reunions where they'd come together, especially after, you know, after emancipation and come together and, and, and celebrate and, and commune with one another. So we, we, uh, I think my family is part of that tradition. We've been celebrating for over 110 years. So. Thank you for that. Well, uh, the, the family part of it, Annette, um, I mean, you were touching on this just a minute ago, that that was such an important part of freedom Mm -hmm. was being Mm -hmm. able to hold your family together. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I know in the book, you talk about your own family and your story in Texas um, and what it was like growing up um, in the world that Texas became uh, under Jim Crow. Can we we are getting short on time, but I just want to get a little bit of that and your own sort of relationship to this holiday with your family. Okay. Well, you know, it's uh, the I begin the book talking about integrating the schools in my hometown as a way of suggesting or showing how even though slavery ended, the redemption governments come in and they start trying to get things, as one person said, as near back to slavery as possible. And one of them, one thing they did was with, you know, legalized separation. And I integrated our school uh, at age six and uh, actually was back there this couple of days ago uh, to give a talk there. Um, and just to say that we're still, we were still dealing with this question in the mid sixties as people were sort of trying to get under, out from under the mandate of Brown. Um, the family part of this was always a part of it for me. It w- I look forward to the day as a little girl, we ran around, drank red soda water, uh, too much of that and <laughs> um, barbecue and kids, firecrackers, playing with firecrackers. I can't believe they gave I know. Us we all did it. When, we all did it. I know. We I know. I have kids now. That would be the last. I mean, it was just, <laughs> but, you know, they just said, be careful. Um, and, you know, uh, the family, what he said, I, I've heard this from a number of other people as well, that they sort of formed family u- reunions around the 19th of, of, of June. We didn't do that, but we did gather as a, not formally, but we did gather grandparents, cousins, and everybody. It's a family day, and that's why it's something that's appropriate, I think, for every race. Mm. You know, all people mm. can come and celebrate an advance in human rights that's right. as a family. We will have to leave it there. Harvard professor and Texas native Annette Gordon-Reed's latest book is called On Juneteenth. Thanks, Annette. Thank you so much. And thanks to everybody who called or sent messages on YouTube and Twitter. Keep them coming if we didn't get to you. Our email is anxiety at WNYC.org. How are you celebrating Juneteenth? Let us know. And coming up, what do you eat on Juneteenth? I'll talk with the author of a new cookbook that answers that question. Stay with us. Carnegie Hall is one of the most famous concert venues in the world. The first time I walked on the stage, I felt like my feet were moving, but they were not touching the floor. Join us for If This Hall Could Talk, a new podcast that explores the history of this iconic landmark through the unique items in its archives. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and together we'll explore how the past shaped the culture we live in today. Listen to If This Hall Could Talk wherever you get podcasts.
Welcome back. I'm Kai Wright. This is a special national broadcast of the United States of Anxiety to celebrate Juneteenth. So thanks for hanging out with us on this holiday. And it's time to turn this party to the topic of food. So I want to know what you're eating at your own cookout. We've been taking your calls, but now let me invite you to chime in on Instagram. And I got to confess, I am a very late adopter to this particular social platform, but our producers thought this would be a fun way to get me started. So since you are probably already taking pictures of your beautiful Juneteenth spreads and probably posting them in your stories, we'd love to make sure we see them too. You can tag me at Kai underscore right. So that's K-A-I underscore right like the brothers. Or you can just use the hashtag US of anxiety. And if you don't have Instagram, that's okay too. Just email us. Tell us what you've got cooking and why you eat it on Juneteenth. Bonus points if you include a photo or a voice note explaining it. But either way, just send it to us at anxiety at WNYC.org. That's anxiety at WNYC.org. So that's two ways you can keep talking to us while we enter this next phase of our conversation. And I am so excited to welcome someone who knows all about what you can eat on Juneteenth and how to cook those foods. Nicole Taylor is a food writer who has written extensively about the culinary traditions of the South, and she has just published, believe it or not, the first cookbook focused on the food of Juneteenth. It's titled Watermelon and Redbirds. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thanks for having me. So let's start with a little bit of conversation about your own Juneteenth. When did you first start celebrating? Do you remember your first time out? I do. My first Juneteenth celebration was not in Texas. It was in a pocket park in the middle of Fort Greene, Brooklyn. Wow. I know people are like, what? But yes, probably more than a decade ago, I attended a community-based organization's annual Juneteenth festival in Brooklyn. And I, I will tell you something very special about that day. There was a black man dressed in cowboy attire with a pony and Kids were on that pony, and I remember seeing uh, a a little boy so happy, so joyful, Mm. so innocent, trotting around the park. And it was that moment that I said, you know, Juneteenth is for me. It's for everyone. Because of the joy. You were like, I am going to claim this joy. Totally. 100%. You know, I I love hosting anything at my own home. Um, And it's, you know, it's, I grew up in a house uh, in my grandmother's house where it was always everybody. It was the town square, you know, she loved to host. And I I just wonder that for you, is hosting something you learn to do? Is it something like, what's your relationship to hosting people in general, but specifically for Juneteenth? Well, I'm definitely your grandma's play cousin. (laughs) (laughs) Because my house is always the town square. And I learned from watching elders in my family. You know, if it was the summertime and it was a 4th of July celebration, it was all day. Um, The kids had enough to eat. There was plenty of food. Everyone was invited. And everyone felt like something in or on the table was special for them or Mm. made just for them. And I picked up on those clues and I look at my own celebrations and (laughs) I see those people there. I see elements of how they hosted and entertained people in in, in me. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, Let's go back to the first Juneteenth celebration, 1866. What would have been eaten then? What would they, what would they have been greasing on? For sure, you you find chunks and slices of watermelon. A lot of articles in Texas newspapers and magazines describe uh, free Black people's celebration um, in 1866, and they write a ton about seeing watermelons and barbecues. Uh, those are the two things that you see time and time again that many scholars and food historians, listen, I'm not a scholar or food historian, I'm a master home cook, but I've definitely read a million times that you see what they call um, barbecue or cookouts where the whole animal is being done or mm-hmm. it's in the ground. So in Texas, you would see a lamb. It's, it wasn't uncommon for someone to roast or barbecue an entire lamb. Uh, obviously brisket. Um, you would see that in, in Texas 
traditional Texas Juneteenth celebration and sausages as well. Mm -hmm. So those two things for certain. And I can't forget the red drink. Well, tell, let's talk about the red drink. So first <laughs> off, you know, um, anybody familiar with any kind of black cookout is familiar with red drink um, of all sorts. Um, but bring people in on what you're talking about and like why that's important to Juneteenth in particular. I did not understand or know the connection of Big Red Soda, which is a regional soft drink that you find mostly in Texas. I did not understand the connection of Hawaiian Punch, the connection of Besop, which is the national drink of Senegal, or Sorrel, what my Caribbean brothers and sisters call it, which is Besop and Sorrel are both hibiscus steeped in water, little sugar added, and spices. You find that same drink in Brazil. You find that same drink, that same steeped flower drink in North Africa. It is a connection of Black people across the world, the red drink. And what I like to say is through the transatlantic slave trade, that drinking ritual, that color, that red ruby drink came with us. It came with us to the Americas. And you see in old plantation cookbooks where writers say that enslaved people had cherry liqueurs or strawberry shrubs. And during their celebrations, there would be big batches of strawberry lemonade. So... For generations, Black people globally and particularly in America have gathered around a punch bowl <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, with the color red uh, spewing out for sure. So that's our connection. It's, it's everywhere. And some scholars and stuff say that the color red is connected to African spirituality, mm. to royalty and crazily. I mean, when I put on red lipstick, I feel powerful. It is a... It is a color that is alive and vibrant uh, and says, I'm here. But it's not known. There's theories, but it's not known exactly why red, um, why red drinks. It's the, what, we, what we have theories about it. Yeah, there are a lot of theories about why. I, I definitely think the dots where I know the dots have been um, traced back to um, Africa, to the continent of Africa and the, the drinking ritual and tradition. Mm -hmm. So... Many believe that we brought that with us. Yeah. I know we brought it with us. I mean, why would it still be here? Why would it still be here? Why would it still be here? We, I, you know, I was surprised to learn that this was the first cookbook focused on Juneteenth. I don't know why I'm surprised to learn that, but when, when did you realize that? <laughs> when the publisher said it. <laughs> I, had no clue. I had no clue. I mean, I've been working on this proposal since 2018, and that was the farthest thing from my mind. Mm. Um it took me a while to say it out loud that there's a lot of pressure. And it's also kind of like, why? <laughs> yeah. I was asking kind of like, really, this is the first book. Um, I'm proud to be a pioneer. And I'm also excited about the other cookbooks that are going to come after me. That's I right. want to make sure that people know that this cookbook, 75 recipes and the stories are about my Juneteenth and that there's more than one way to Juneteenth um, and that Juneteenth is a holiday that's all over America because of the Great Migration. And even if you're not from Texas, we're all bonded. We are all connected. We all want freedom. We are um, our parents, our grandparents have the same dream for us. And that is for us to live and thrive in America. Yeah. Um, and so that's what connects us. And so, yeah, get into it. Juneteenth people. Indeed. I mean, thinking about the foodways part of it, as, as the holiday has spread through the great migration to other parts of the country, um, have, have the foods changed in any way? Have you noticed that? Has there been any sort of thing that's been added once it showed up in Milwaukee or Oakland, you know? That's a good question. I will say one of the things that I noticed is hot links and sausages. They are a tradition in Texas Juneteenth celebration. Like someone could do an entire book about 
Juneteenth sausages. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> well, I mean, if you go to East Texas, there's a certain way uh, and a certain type of sausages being made or hot guts is another word that people will use in Texas. It is different from what you find in, in another part of the state. So yeah, hot links and sausages are a thing. I grew up with hot links or red links in Georgia and I was born and raised in Athens, Georgia, which is a city about 60 miles outside of Atlanta. It's Northeast Georgia. And there's a brand called McEvers. And they're really red, and the red comes from Red 40. Uh, those are the red hot links that I grew up on. Mm. And I feel like I've talked to so many Black people who live in Chicago or D.C. They have a very special sausage brand that they love, and they remember folks putting them on the grill um, during Black celebrations. So what I've noticed is that the hot link thing I wouldn't say it disappeared, but I think it has evolved and people have had to adapt because they don't live in Texas anymore. You know um, what? I have never until this moment thought, really given thought to the fact that we ate these red hot links in my, again, at my grandmother's house. I, that was a standard part of any cookout were these red hot links. We don't have any Texas people where our, our, our path goes back to Alabama. Um, and this was in Indiana, but I never until this moment thought about that. They were red hot links and they were a staple. Yeah. And so I, I talk about in one of the, the sidebars in the book, like how do people, how did you have them? People like them with mustard sometimes. Um, and mustard. Just on like, people like them with the, you know, what I call loaf, loaf of bread or loaf bread or uh -huh. cheap white bread. Um, and sometimes people just like them on the side as almost a condiment to the entire plate at Juneteenth or other black celebrations. But yeah, they're, they're our staple for black summertime black celebrations. Yeah. For sure. I, I'm, it's kind of throwing me. I, the things we do and don't <laughs> even think about, I just, and I never even thought about it. That's really great. Well, so the, the, the book is called, as we said, watermelon and red birds. Why, what are, what are the, each of those things represent? So you said watermelon was, would have been a big part of the 1866 celebration. Um, uh, why is that? And and what is it about Redbirds? Yeah, I came to the title at various, <laughs> at two different moments. First, I knew that I wanted to bring in a very classic all-American summertime fruit or vegetable in the title. So I landed on, on watermelon. And watermelon is a fruit that is indigenous to the African continent. Um, but it's also a fruit that all Americans love to snack on. Um, so I thought it would be very fitting to have watermelon in the title. And Redbirds, wow. When I was growing up, my mom used to tell me, look out the window, look out the window. There's a Redbird. A Redbird is outside. There's someone from our family that's coming back to say hello. Mm. Blow them a kiss. Mm. And I would blow them a kiss. And she was like, that bird is a symbol of good luck. And I, I kind of forgot about that story. And one day I was sitting on the subway, New York City subway. And that story literally just, just dropped out the sky. And I'm like, red birds, that story, that story is symbolic of the past, the present and the future. And that's just, that's such a great origin story. So right now, a lot of people are maybe wrapping up their Juneteenth celebration. Some of y'all are probably just getting started, um, you know, but uh, for those that, that are wrapping up or that are uh, you know, when they wrap up later, what's what's the perfect way uh, to end a day of a Juneteenth celebration, Nicole? Oh, wow. Well, I always say this. I'm going to start with the perfect way to start, and then I'll go to the end. Okay. I like to make sure that you center the origin story of Juneteenth at the very beginning of your celebration. So for all the folks who are listening and they haven't done this, stop the music, uh, stop what you're doing, and raise a glass. Like, raise a glass to Texans raise a glass for our ancestors. Uh, and I like to put the red cups down then and the red and blue cups, I put them away. I think starting 
with reverence, with beautiful glassware and saying a, for me, it's a prayer. Uh, it could be a toast, but I think it's important to center the holiday when you begin your celebration. But at the end, love y'all, let's talk about the end. Oh boy. At the end, right before, you know, before I let go, the song comes on. You have to like pouring people more red drink. That's when you start getting the shots of brown liquor out. And when I say brown liquor, I mean whiskey, <laughs> American whiskey. Uh, and then that's when people want a little extra food. And that's when I start thinking about like, oh, maybe I'll make people tostadas now. Like I have like two pieces of ribeye that I've wrapped up and snuck away. But let me let me make a few tostadas. And I, I talk about that in the cookbook, how is late and people are still around, so I'm, I'm figuring out more food. Uh, a midnight snack, just that final libation. Yes. And uh, looking at the playlist and figuring out what wasn't played. <laughs> that is a way to end at Juneteenth. That is the way that I need to end my <laughs> Juneteenth instead of working. I need to go get into this brown liquor. I love it. We're going to leave it there. But listeners, do keep those Instagram tags and emails coming. We know a lot of y'all are already taking pictures of your Juneteenth spread, so show them to us as well. You can tag me at Kai underscore right. So that's K-A-I underscore right, like the brothers. Or just add the hashtag US of anxiety. And if you don't have Instagram, you can just email us. Tell us what you've got cooking and why you eat it on Juneteenth. Bonus points if you include a photo or a voice note explaining it. Either way, just send it to anxiety at WNYC.org. That's anxiety at WNYC.org. And if you want to try out some of the recipes in Nicole Taylor's book, you're going to have to go get it. Watermelon and Red Birds. You don't have to cook those recipes only on Juneteenth, by the way. They are meant for celebration. Nicole, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for having me on. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. Thanks to everybody around the country for joining our Juneteenth special. A particular thanks to our partner stations in Texas, Houston Public Media, KERA Dallas, and Texas Public Radio. You're awesome. United States of Anxiety is a production of WNYC Studios. Our team includes Emily Botin, Regina Dahir, Karen Frillman, Kusha Navadar, Rahima Nasa, and Jared Paul. Engineering by Milton Ruiz tonight. Our theme music was written by Hannes Brown and performed by the Outer Borough Brass Band. And I am Kai Wright. Thanks for spending time with us tonight, and happy Juneteenth. Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.